Allie. And I'm Sarah. And you're listening to Dead Cat on the Line, an internationally focused true crime podcast. Where two very anxious people overanalyze everything. No cats are harmed in the making of this podcast. case that I got the idea to do because of a discussion I had with Ali where I used a very popular metaphor that's used in the UK and she had no idea what I was talking about and I was like oh so I'm talking about Dr. Crippen case today um it's the origin of the phrase guilty as Crippen so it's used in the UK when somebody is completely undisputably guilty you find them with blood on their hands and them actually holding the knife level of guilty however whether we should be using that to talk about absolute guilt or using his name to talk about absolute guilt is something i'm gonna go into because there have been new developments in the last two decades in this case because it's an old one it's an old one oldie and goodie yeah Um, so i first read about this case i must have been about seven or eight which is always the perfect age to read about dismemberment i think well, you know, it's it's that age where you start thinking about one thing and one thing only. Murder. Dis- dismemberment, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know if in the US you have horrible histories, Ali. Uh, well, we are aware of horrible histories. I don't know if we make it or if we just watch what you guys make. Oh, yeah. For those of you who had a bleak and terrible childhood without horrible histories, uh, you missed out. Sorry about that. You can never regain those years now. They're lost forever. But <laughs> I would suggest watching the horrible history song about Henry VIII because I remember that with absolute clarity. So, yeah, so Horrible Histories is a children's book series that was written, illustrated, published in the UK, and it is basically retelling of um, various periods of history with, as the tagline says, with the gory bits left in. So it talks about, for example, execution methods, it talks about the various wars, and it does it in like a very interesting way. And because I was a morbid child, I was absolutely hooked on these, read all 20 books, and then when I'd run through these ones, I had to move on to others in the same kind of genre, because these exploded onto the scene, and then obviously, as it happens with publishing, a ton more books kind of yeah. come in. <laughs> Um, Seems like good books for kids. Yeah, great, great books. I mean, to be fair, at the same age, I was reading Agatha Christie, so I don't don't really know, don't really know what anybody expected to happen. (laughs) But you know, and now I have, and now we have a podcast, so you can sort of see the video. (laughs) It was, it was an early fascination that suddenly became what we're hoping becomes a lifestyle. (laughs) Exactly, I'm sort of like the evolved version of a Pokemon at this point. Crime Pokemon. <laughs> okay, so for reference, this case takes place in 1910. So it's two years before the Titanic is going to set sail and ultimately sink. It's four years before the beginning of the First World War. And Dr. Crippen is actually an American who was tried and executed in London. Oh, great. It's a case of shitting on an American. This is why I was so surprised. I was saying earlier, I found a detail about it that I was so surprised that you wouldn't be aware of it in the US, and it is because it's actually an American um, an American guy. He's got a great name. So um, I hope you're ready for this one. Holly Harvey Crippen 
He's born on September the 11th in 1862. That is a great name and a terrible date to be born on. Oh, yes. He's usually known as Dr. Crippen. Can you actually correct me? My brain is saying Civil War. Is it Civil War? <laughs> or is it, is it the September the 11th? It's September 11th. Okay, because I was like 1862 and I was like, wait, doesn't... I, I mean, was- knowing that was also around Civil War time. 1869, because I thought 1869... No, what is time? Time isn't real, listeners, is what we're here to tell you. And it's not about our inability to research properly. Yeah, well, uh, the Civil War ended in 1865, so it's not too long after. Okay, Okay. so he's about three years old when it ends. Cool. Yeah. Um, He is an American homeopath, um, Mm -hmm. ear and eye specialist, and a medicine dispenser. Okay? Okay. And I looked up homeopathy, and it is, because I thought it was something about the idea that belief, it's the belief that water holds the memory of whatever you place in it. And I looked it up, and Wikipedia has it listed in medical conspiracy theories, which I think (laughs) says it all. Absolutely. It's a system of alternative medicine created in 1796, and it's based on a doctrine by a guy called Samuel Hahnemann. Can I just go with that being the pronunciation? The idea that like cures like. So it's the idea that a substance that causes the symptoms of a disease in healthy people would cure similar symptoms in sick people. It's like cancelling out. And then Wikipedia continued to absolutely drag homeopathy as a system. (laughs) I mean, in its defense, we do vaccinate kids with the actual disease. Yes, I can can actually see. And the thing is, in 1796, I can completely see. Yeah. It is conceptually, but it is listed as a pseudoscience. Um, I I mean, absolutely. I would agree with that 100%, but there is some basis to it. Oh, absolutely. Like, and I, I'm for reference for anybody listening, I am not trying to dismiss if you use it and it works for you. That's great because I have used remedies like this in the past. It is almost definitely for me. I think it's a placebo effect, but I'm okay with the, if the end goal is what I want from it, I'm down with it. Yeah. I'm not questioning it. Yeah. Anyway. So Crippen is born in Michigan and his dad is a merchant. He goes mm-hmm. to the University of Michigan Homeopathic Medical School, graduates from the Cleveland Homeopathic Medical College in 1888. Please note this correct pronunciation of American names. You can hold your applause. So his first wife dies of a stroke in 1892. So he is ha- he's married once. He's got a two-year-old son called Holly Otto, because why not name your child after yourself? Yeah, it's a pretty common thing, even nowadays. Oh, yeah. So I'm going to... That's a thing that happens, and I'm gonna leave that there so anyway he has this two-year-old son he passes off the two-year-old son to his parents who live in california moves to new york starts to practice 1894 mm-hmm. he marries his second wife corinne turner but we're gonna call her cora turner her stage name is bell elmore and her birth name so she's she's got three names she is born and i am going to butcher this and i should have looked it up but i was a fool kunigund makamotsky to a German mother and a Polish-Russian father. All right, then. Yeah. I can understand why she changed her name. Yes, particularly in, like, the music hall culture of yes. 90s America. So for people who don't know, music halls were pre-cinema entertainment venues. You would go and you would see variety acts. So it's just mm-hmm. a variety show. There would yeah. be singers. There would be drag acts, actually. Drag acts were very popular in London at the time. There would be magic tricks. There would be cute little kids that stand there and sing, dance. If you can think of it, it's probably in a music hall. 
Yeah, so it's basically what a concert hall would be, where it's like inviting various talents of different professions, comedians, singers, all sorts of people. And I think the difference we need to point out is that whereas like a concert hall, at least in the UK, has connotations of class, like middle class, upper class, music halls were accessible to everyone and they were predominantly working class entertainment venues, which gave them, of course, in classist British society, this kind of like seedy edge. <laughs> because you might end up sitting next to the tradesman. Oh, the horror. There's a reason we give that man a separate entrance, so we don't have to be near him. For <laughs> people who don't know, like a lot of old British houses have what we would call a tradesman's entrance, which is a door at the back, and that is so that plumbers, staff and stuff can enter and leave without having to interact with the actual lady and master of the house. It's really pretentious. It is what it is. So the thing is, she is a would-be music hall singer, mm-hmm. which is an extremely shady phrase, I think, a way of phrasing it, and she openly had affairs. Which at the time is like, oof, big deal, big deal. Good on her for going after what she wants. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The same year, Crippen is going to start working for a homeopathic pharmaceutical company called Dr. Munions. And then in 1897, he's going to move to England with Cora. Okay. But the thing is, his US medical qualifications didn't allow him to practice as a doctor in the UK. Okay. They weren't transferable or they weren't considered. The phrasing that is used in my research is not sufficient. <laughs> I think that covers it. Yeah, I, I, maybe I don't know how popular homeopathy was at the time in the UK, and maybe it wasn't. So yeah. when he moves to the UK with Cora, does he leave his son in America with his parents? Yes, but yes, okay. he leaves his son. His, his son's out of the picture now. It's just okay. we know that, that that son exists because so he's relevant. The, the mention of the son is just like he's there. That's he's all there. you need to know. Yeah, and it's relevant for the the end of the story. Okay, so bookmark the sun. Bookmark the sun. And if I forget the sun, remind me that we've bookmarked the sun. Okay. Um, so he starts working as a distributor of patent medicines. Cora just bursts onto the music hall scene. She socializes with a bunch of famous variety players at the time. And there are some examples. And I have to say, I don't know who they are. So I think they might be American. So it was Lil Hawthorne of the Hawthorne Sisters and her husband and manager, John Nash. Those sound like American names. Yeah, I was hoping you might know them, but no. I, I do not know them. I'm not up to date with music hall <laughs> celebrities. <laughs> the 1890s. <laughs> um, but the names do sound very American, especially Nash. Yeah, it was the Nash that I think tipped me off. I'm not going to lie, okay. My favorite part is Munyon's now sack him in 1899. So okay. he's been working for them. So he's been working for them in London. But he couldn't work as a doctor. He had to work as this distributor. They sack him, and it's because he spent too much time managing his wife's stage career. So he was looking for a career change. Yeah, he's looking for a career change, and he finds one with the Drouet's Institution for the Deaf, and he becomes a manager there. Um, That sounds like a good place to work. I genuinely don't know too much about the deaf institutions at the time, and I don't want to comment on it because I know that deaf culture will have their own opinion on it but i do know a lot of the institutions for disabled people at the time were born out of a lot of paternalism and a lot of charity and it was mostly about keeping these embarrassing disabled people out of sight so the rest of us don't have to look at them that was the whole horrible ableist ideology behind it because this is the era that eugenics is going to become a big thing so in 1900 so a year later he's going to hire ethel the who's a typist 
So typist okay. was like a very popular job for young women in this era. It's just typewriting. It's basically dictation. It's well, it, it's one of the few jobs that women would be able to hold during this yeah. time. And it was paid not great, but it was it allowed for greater emancipation. You could be a single woman and, and live and not be married. And you could live in a boarding house and not immediately have to go straight into being a wife. So we've got five years. We've got a five-year gap. Yeah. By 1905, they're having an affair. No idea who got sight of who first, mm-hmm. but I actually have a picture of what she looked like, which I'm now going to share with you. So she's she's got a nice bone structure, guys. I like the hat. Yeah, she's got a great hat on. It's actually bigger than her head and shoulder width combined. Mm-hmm. Um, she's got pretty good cheekbones. If you look, there is a picture of Crippen. He's the one with glasses and the slightly buggy out eyes and the impressive mustache. Yes. And then Cora, she's 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 super attractive. I'm just gonna say all of these are stage photos of her. She's the dark curly hair, round face. She's very very nice curves. Yeah, she's a stunner. Um, she is definitely made for the stage. I will say. She's so attractive that I don't. <sighs> Anyway, who knows what goes on if she's married. <laughs> he was lucky to have her. Yeah, I'm like, he was lucky. So Crippens are going to move in 1905. So the same year the affair happens, the Crippens, so Cora and Holly, mm-hmm. Holly Harvey, are moving to a Holloway in London. So they're moving to Camden Road. And they're taking in lodgers because Crippen isn't making that much money. Cora is going to have an affair with one of these lodgers. Um, well, at least she's also going out and getting what she wants. I mean, the sheer convenience of that, really. And so Crippen retaliates and takes Lenevre as his mistress in 1908. And I'm not sure about the, the distinction between a fair and mistress. I assume at this time it usually referred to him setting her up in a house of her own. Okay. Yeah, that would make sense. It, mm-hmm. it would be a more permanent situation as opposed to just having an affair, which yeah. I assume could be terminated whenever yes. they were ready to terminate. Exactly. Things are about to get real dramatic. This is literally all just set up. Okay. So we've got two years now. Got another two-year gap. Yeah. 31st of January, 1910. So it's around this time, not sort of around this time of year that we're recording. Cora is going to disappear. Crippen is going to say when people ask that she's returned to the United States and then he's going to add later. So the story is going to get keep track of this story because it is going to change. So she's returned to the United States, number one. Number two, okay. on arrival back in the United States, she's died and she's been cremated in California. That was a very quick turnaround. Yeah, she, I mean, ship journeys were great, rubbish at the time. So it's sort you can see how he thinks. Yeah. But it's yeah. a little bit too convenient. However, Ethel is almost immediately going to move into the house and she's going to begin openly wearing Cora's clothes and jewellery, which is like, never do that. Every case I've heard where people do that, that tips everyone off. And it is about the fact that I guess, like, at this time, particularly, like, clothes and jewellery were expensive. Clothes, women's clothes particularly were costly. I get it. Just still don't do it. It's not worth it. No one is going to really report Cora as disappeared, as her disappearance, which is actually kind of sad, until... This is my favourite part of the whole story. This is one line. There's a strong woman called Kate Williams, better known as Volcana. Oh, respect! She has her own Wikipedia page, which she's a Welsh. She's Welsh. Um, uh-huh. So you can imagine this Welsh strong woman called Volcana. Yeah. She's going to go to the police. Police aren't going to be that interested, presumably because she's a woman. But, wait for it, 
a personal friend of the Scotland Yard superintendent is now going to get involved. So remember John Nash from earlier? Yes. And his wife? They're now going to go. So presumably because now a man has mentioned that this woman is missing. So that brings us up to three people. I'm assuming Nash and... The wife. The no, wife. She's, uh, she's also gone. Okay. But basically, it's, it's two women and a man. So that's basically one whole person. <laughs> especially since one of the women and the man is american yes but the other woman is is also welsh like oh no 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 and she's a strong woman and she works in music. <laughs> so, so basically all of that mashed together makes one actual one, person one actual person we can take seriously so they're like thankfully, <laughs> thank goodness a person is finally one whole person is finally reported <laughs> the house is going to be searched nothing's found Crippen is going to be interviewed by Chief Inspector Walter Jew. Mm-hmm. So you want to remember Walter Jew. I know there's a lot of moving parts in this. You can now forget, as far as I'm aware, you can forget Vulcana, sorry. You can forget Nash. You can forget Little Hawthorne. You need to remember Walter Jew. Okay. Crippen is going to admit he was lying in this interview. But, but oh no, his story's going to change. He's going to say that he lied about his wife having died because she's actually run off with one of her, her boyfriends and... He was embarrassed Ooh. to admit it. And he's actually going to name them. Someone called Bruce Miller. So Jew is satisfied with Crippen's story because patriarchy. But the thing is, Crippen and Lenev don't know that Jew is kind of okay with their story. He's bought it. He's on with it. So they immediately, like idiots, do not stay put. They're going to... <sighs> they're about, they flee the country instantly. The same, pretty much the same night. That is not a good sign. If you of being questioned by the police, do not immediately flee. Yeah. Look suspicious. Very suspicious. So they're gonna they go to they go to Brussels. They're gonna okay. spend the night at the hotel. Then they're gonna go to Antwerp. So now in Europe. And they're gonna mm-hmm. board um, a Pacific liner for Canada and it's called the SS Montrose. Of course, the fact they have disappeared leads the Scotland Yard police to perform another three searches of the house. Of course. Nothing, they don't find anything. So time one, nothing. Time two, nothing. The fourth and final search, because remember we already had one search. So Mm -hmm. search number four. They find the torso of a human body buried under the brick floor of the basement. Oh my God. How did they miss that? I feel like the fact it's a brick floor, to be fair, if it was a wooden floor, you could pry the boards up quite easily. But still, they are going to find traces of a drug called scopolamine in the torso parts. And that's like a calming drug. It's meant to calm you. Okay. I feel like we can extrapolate from that pretty well. The corpse is going to be identified by a piece of skin from its abdomen. And let's remember the fact that is what they're going to use to identify this woman. Because the head, limbs and skeleton are never going to be recovered. It's just the torso. Just the torso. That will also be relevant later. The fact that we don't find the head, limbs, and skeleton, and they're going to claim that this piece of skin is what identifies Cora as Cora. She's later, she's going to be buried in East Finchley in London at the St. Pancras and Islington Cemetery. Just for those from the UK who are following along, she, to my awareness, she is still there. Anyway, let's go to the ship, because there's going to be a ship in here to make it. <laughs> the so ship is supposed to, is about to go to shit. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, everything's about to go to hell. We are now crossing the Atlantic on the SS Montrose. Go to the, the drive thing I sent and now look at the image, which is Ethel 2. 
that is Ethel's disguise. And can you just describe it for people at home? Just so it's not just my voice. All right. Well, she is wearing a very fetching hat that is very obviously a man's hat rather than that giant monstrosity she had had on before. Mm -hmm. She also has on what looks like a pretty modest suit. And it Mm -hmm. looks like her hair has been cut or is at least hidden within the hat. So basically, she's disguising herself as a dude. Yes, congratulations. It's like a young man. She's actually posing as Crippin's son. Okay. And they is are, this is why we bookmarked the sun? This is why we... It's not why we bookmarked the sun, but it's also... It's probably... It, it is like an interesting... Okay, thing. relevant. So, so they are in first or second class. I'm not sure which, but that is relevant. So for anybody that has seen Titanic, ships had three different classes and so did trains. And obviously it cost more to go the further up you went. And the further up you went, the fancier the amenities and the environment, the ship environment. You need to remember that they are in they are they are in first or second. They didn't go for third class, which we was also called called steerage. They don't go for that. Yeah, because apparently that's a bit too much. I mean, like you're fleeing the country, yeah. but you want to flee. You want to flee in luxury. You want to flee in style. Yes. The thing is, there's a captain on the ship, as there often are on ships, called Henry George Kendall, and he starts to get real suspicious of this father and son. In fictionalizations I've read, they were apparently holding hands when people thought they weren't looking when they thought people weren't looking rather which yeah uh, if you're going to disguise her mm -hmm. as your son commit to the bit you've got to you've got to go with it crippin remember crippin's fabulous mustache yes he shaved it off Um, (gasps) is when you've shaved off a mustache it actually shows the skin is lighter if you've Mm -hmm. had it for a long time so they notice that and they're just acting weird he has heard about because the entirety of after the torso is discovered all hell breaks loose in the press right right like this guy absolutely we're looking for him he's on the run yeah so henry george god bless him has actually read the newspapers and he's like i think this is crippin i think it's crippin and over the couple over the course of the journey he's getting more and more sure but the thing is this is before the internet this is before (laughs) phone yes and they are going to canada once they get off the boat in canada they're gone you can't actually hold them there, and there's no way to warn anyone that he can think of, except telegrams. Have been Woohoo! Wireless telegrams are the basic way you have them on ships, and they basically tap, and they use Morse code to basically tap short messages across. Yeah, the it's a lot faster than letters, obviously, and this is a time where most people do not have a telephone, mm-hmm. um, and there was definitely not a telephone on board a ship. There were telegrams because they're very useful to communicate with other ships as well, which you see later in the Titanic, where like the Titanic desperately is trying to use telegrams to transmit SOS messages to the other nearby ships. And it's uh, the captain says CQD, which was essentially what the SOS message for ships was at okay. the time. Thank you very much. I actually didn't know that. I didn't know the message. So. <laughs> The telegraphist on board is called Lawrence Ernest Hughes. I just feel like I'm adding all these names at this point because I think we need to appreciate how British all of these people sound. (laughs) I love all the names. Captain Henry George Kendall goes to his telegraphist and goes, excuse me, Mr. Lawrence Ernest Hughes, I need you to send a (laughs) telegram to Scotland Yard. And we actually have the actual telegram now. And it is, have strong suspicions that Crippen London cellar murderer and accomplice are among saloon passengers. Stop. 
Mustache taken off, growing beard. Stop. <laughs> Accomplice dressed as boy. Stop. Manner and build, undoubtedly a girl. Stop. <laughs> Can we just appreciate that message? Because that's great. It's the, I don't know what I love more. It's like, I like the length of the first sentence. You have to try and do it in one breath. I was like, I'm not going to make it to the end of yeah. it. But manner and build, undoubtedly a girl. Is very British shade for your disguise didn't work. <laughs> Mustache shaved off, growing beard. My favorite just... detail about this is yeah. if Crippen had traveled third class, Kendall may have never noticed him because the captains didn't interact with third class passengers. Ooh. They only interacted with the saloon class. So traveling in style, bad idea. Yep, it 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 cost them dearly because <laughs> Jew gets this news. Good old Jew. He's going to run to Liverpool from London, which is actually the other end of the country. This is like quite a big... He has to rush. He yeah. finds the White Star, which remember if White Star is the, the, the liner company that is going to launch the Titanic in two years. Yes. Yes. And they had very fast ships. So he's actually going to arrive in Quebec, Canada, ahead of Crippen. And he runs to the Canadian authorities and is like, hey, hey, dude, we need you. So the thing is, Montrose is now arriving. They enter what is apparently called the St. Lawrence River, and Jew is now going to enter the ship. He can come aboard the ship. So he comes aboard um, disguised as, it says here, a pilot. And I'm a bit confused about that because an air pilot? But whatever, he's disguised. <laughs> uh, the, the irony about this is this is like a case where the series of bad choices are made. From the moment they escape, they, they constantly make errors. So mm -hmm. error number one is they try and escape. Error number two, she's disguised as a boy. Error number three, he shaves off his beard. And error number four is the steerage, not going in steerage. And last one is the fact they go to Canada. Yeah. Crippen's an American citizen, right? So if he had gone to the United States, he would have had extradition. Yeah. And they would have to start proceedings. Canada at the time is still a dominion within the British Empire. Mm -hmm. So Jew has jurisdiction. This seems like a... Like a snowball series of bad mistakes. Exactly. And the thing is, this is my favourite part, is Kendall. Kendall's in on this. Kendall asks Crippen if he would like to meet the pilots as they came aboard the ship. So they all know... So no, the other one who's not in on this is Crippen at this point. <laughs> this is my favourite part of this whole story, and this is what stayed with me as a kid. This okay. is like British dry shadiness. So Jew walks up to Crippen... He takes off his pilot's cap and he says, verbatim quote, Good morning, Dr. Crippen. Do you know me? I'm Inspector Chief Inspector Jew from Scotland Yard. That is so good. Like, good morning, Dr. Crippen. Ah, uh, so much respect for him. That is a great entrance. Do you feel like he rehearsed that in the mirror? Absolutely. On his way from Liverpool to Canada? Like, I would have rehearsed it. Like if, reference, he's, also, he's also under an assumed name as well. So the second it's Dr. Crippen, that's it. Yeah. But he had to keep going as well. I was like, you know what? You know what? Let's just twist twist the knife. Let's remind you who you are and ask if you know me. <laughs> that's so epic. Like, if you're going to capture this guy in disguise in any sort of way, that's the way to do it. Yeah, that's it. That's So there's a pause. Obviously, whilst Crippen's heart probably drops out of his ass... <laughs> at that point i try and run but he doesn't try he basically says thank god it's over the suspense has been too great i couldn't stand it any longer 
Oh. And then he pulls out his wrists for the handcuffs. Like, oh, that's the part of the story where you're like, I now feel bad for this guy, even though yeah, he chopped up his wife. I'm now like, oh. So oh. we have 31st of July is 1910. This is when they're arrested. And he's going to be returned. And if I remember right, in my uploads, there's an image called arrest. That is actually him being arrested in the middle. That's him in the middle, and they're marching off. And to my awareness, the guy walking behind, carrying the jacket, the yeah. pale jacket, I want to say is Jew. I have no evidence for this, but I just feel like he looks that level of sassy. He is a looker. I like him. I'm like, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so the thing is, Crip and Murder becomes a national sensation. There are songs. There is a very famous song. I am not going to try and sing it. It ends with my favourite line ever, which is, ships ahoy, naughty boy. And I think we need to <laughs> Oh my god. That's, that's beautiful. Obviously, now we go to the trial. The trial does not last a long time. Yeah. Uh, the problem is, the pathologists who turn up for the prosecution can't actually identify the remains definitively. And they can't actually tell if they were male or female. So remember the torso. The torso is all the evidence we have. Yeah. But remember the piece of skin? Yes. The lead pathologist apparently was called Spilsbury. Once again, I love the names. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> finds that piece of skin. Um, and he claims it's an abdominal scar that's consistent with Cora's like medical history. He's like, she definitely had a scar here. That is also in the in the drive, if you want to have a look. We do still have the preserved piece of skin. Is it is it Crippen's Scar? It's from the torso. Yeah, it's from the torso. It's the piece okay. of skin they found from the torso that this was used in the trial. You okay. Can see, on the label for you know people listening along at home, it says R. V. Crippen scar and skin, piece of the scar under glass. Yeah, the it's reason, a it's a very distinct scar. Mm-hmm, it really is. The thing about this is that I just want to clarify for people who don't know, R. So basically, in the UK, it is not the state. Versus, we don't say like the state versus Crippen. It's the crown versus. Okay. So R stars um, is for Regina, as in okay. so is like as in like the queen. Yeah. So it's the crown. That's why our, our prosecution service is called the Crown Prosecution Service. So anyway, we find a toxic compound in the remains, of which Crippen had bought before the murder from a local chemist. And the reason we know this is because you had to sign in chemist box when you bought certain toxic, poisonous chemicals, you had to sign in what was called the poison book. Still, yeah. you can't get like this in the UK. That's a really bad choice for killers. Mm-hmm. And you had to sign your real name. And you mm-hmm. had to give a reason why you bought the poison mm-hmm. in the book. The defence are going to say, are going to stick to the story about Cora running away to America with Bruce. And... They claim that because Cora and Hawley have only been living in the house since 1905, there's a previous owner that's responsible for these remains. And that the abdominal scar is actually just folded tissue, like skin tissue, because apparently it has hair follicles growing from it, which is something scar tissue can't have. But Spilsbury, our good friend Spilsbury, is going to come back and say that sebaceous glands appear at the ends, but not the middle of the scar. So where the scar would kind of go back into normal skin... Okay. You can see these these glands, these hair follicles, but they don't exist in the middle of the scar, which does suggest that it's scar tissue. Yes. So that is your big piece. So big piece of evidence that is we've got this abdominal scar. Number two is a piece of a man's pajama top, 
that we can't confirm, but is apparently from a pair that Cora had given Crep in a year earlier. This is because the pyjama bottoms are found in his bedroom, but not the top. But the okay. It's, it's these two pieces. They have a piece from the top. He's conined, he can find the, the pyjama bottoms to show people. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't have the top anymore. Because if it is him, he's an idiot. The fragment that they find include the manufa- includes the manufacturer's label. And curlers with bleached hair are found with the remains, like hair curlers. Uh-huh. Cora bleached her hair. So we have okay. on the curlers in the remains and a fragment of a pyjama top. Yeah, that's that's pretty damning. Gets worse for him. So they track down the manufacturer, and a representative from the store states the product isn't sold before 1908. So this top, this set of pyjamas wasn't sold before 1908, because remember their defense is that perhaps the remains are from somebody from before 1905. So he definitely had to have gotten mm-hmm. the pyjamas Mm-hmm. after they were already in the house. Yes, and Cora apparently gave the pyjamas to him in 1909. Okay. I'll just go back there again, because in case people aren't following, the date's lining up. Okay, so they move in 1905. His defense is, this is not Cora. You can't prove this is Cora. This could be somebody who previously lived in the house who's done this. But the pyjama bottoms that they find with the body, the fragment of it, no, sorry, the pyjama top, the fragment, those pyjamas are not manufactured and released to the public for sale until 1908. And she apparently gave him these pajamas in 1909, and then she dies in 1910. So very definitively okay. in the house by the yes. time he gets the pajamas. So this body has to have been in the house or placed beneath the brick basement. Because if you think about the effort it takes to dig up a basement and put it back in, yeah, and it's not like something could just fall down into it. Like it's a mm-hmm. it's brick flooring. It's not like wood flooring with little gaps and stuff in it you have to have also you have to have broken the cement holding the bricks together you have to have pried them out and then you have to have molded it all back in yeah it takes time crippen apparently shows no remorse for his wife during the entire trial but he is very concerned about ethel's reputation okay as as this unmarried woman that's been having an affair with him he's worried about her instead yeah priorities dude priorities i don't know how long do you think the jury are going to deliberate just take a guess. Take a wild guess. Uh, not very long. So what do you want to guess, like an hour? Maybe less than an hour, even. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say half an hour. After just 27 minutes of deliberation. So close! So close. That was really impressive. <laughs> um, so the jury are like, nah, you're guilty of murder. And he's hanged at, for those that are interested, he's hanged at 9am on the 23rd of November, 1910. Okay. Uh, Pentonville Prison in London. And we do have in the drive, if I remember right, or I don't know if I put them in, if you look at the pictures of execution, there were drawings of the execution. Yes, those are in the drive. Um, One is from Le Petit Parisien, which is obviously a French newspaper, and the other one is also from a French newspaper, which is interesting. And then if you look, there are some trial images, and if you look at Ethel, Ethel's massive hat is back. Yes, I see that. Very dignified in that massive hat. I think what's interesting about that is clearly the scarf, she's trying to cover as much of her face as she can. Because this is like big scandal for her. So it definitely you... looks like she has like a veil or something over her face. Oh yeah. So what do you think is going to happen to Ethel in terms of legalities? I want to say that she's not going to get a death penalty sentence mm-hmm. because it's it's... 
It feels like the evidence is more clearly pointing towards Crippen rather than Ethel, and she was just an accomplice. Yeah. But I'm not really sure what her sentence would be. She's going to be charged with being an accessory after the fact. Okay. I don't know if you actually have in U.S. law. Uh, we might have something similar. I don't know if it's, like, the actual name, mm-hmm. same name. We call it accessory after the fact if you are involved or assist in the crime, but you are not actually there for the crime, if that makes sense. So if you help clear up the body. Yeah, um, we do have that in the US. I just looked it up to verify, and we do have that. So anyway, and she's acquitted. Okay. Yeah, she's completely acquitted. Because if you think about it, there's only evidence that she fled with him. There is no evidence to suggest that she was involved in the murder. Yeah, because the only, like, evidence that is absolutely pinning someone to the murder is that pajama top. Yeah, it's the pajama top. I would say the curlers help make me believe that it was probably her. The scar, I'm not... I feel like there's too much debate about the scar. I don't know. There is too much. The the curlers, to me, also kind of tell me that, yeah, that's probably Cora. Yeah, because you guys also can't see in the images, but she does have her hair curled in such a style that you would need curlers to maintain it. It is very curly, very styled. Um, It's hard to tell that she bleached her hair. That might have come afterwards. Yeah, um, I feel like but... these are these are photos I suspect from my looking at the dates and stuff before the move. Yeah, but um, definitely curled. She's actually so Ethel is acquitted, and she's actually going to emigrate to the United States the morning that Crippen is executed. Oh, so she's, she doesn't she doesn't go and watch him. She just bolts. Yeah, I would do the same. I think I would I would do as well because although to be fair. The UK doesn't have double jeopardy anymore. It's actually been struck down. We no longer mm-hmm. have it. We did have double jeopardy at the time, so she would have been safe, I believe. Okay. But scandal. If you think about the massive scandal. Yeah, you... I wouldn't I wouldn't want to be connected to that any more than I already was. And this is like one of the biggest trials in the UK at the time. Everyone knows who Crippen is. Yeah. So the one last detail that I think is kind of sad is that at his request, um, her photograph is placed in his coffin and buried with him. I, even though she's left him, and she's not yeah. there, that's what he still wants. So he's buried in prison grounds in Penterville Prison. It's not marked by a stone, but people claim that a rose bush was planted over it after a while. Um, and actually, this is the thing where I was, remember the sun. This is where the sun comes in. Remember yes. So that means he has living relatives still in the United States. Yes. They're now trying to lobby for his remains to be repatriated to the U.S., Ah, I see. So they want the they want the um, UK government to dig up his grave and return it. Yeah, the United States where he was born. Yeah, which will probably be difficult considering it's not marked. Yeah, and also given the fact, I think like we know where it is, it's just not marked, which will happen in another case of mine. In certain cases, we do not mark where what is viewed at the time as a particularly vicious murderer is buried because we don't want people to be able to use it as a focal point. But anyway, so Lenev goes from the United States to Toronto. Mm-hmm. She takes up work as a typist again. She stays there for three years. She returns to London after those three years, but she returns under the name Ethel Harvey. So okay. remember what Holly Crippen's full name was? Yeah, Harvey was in there. 
Holly Harvey Crippen. She works at a furniture store in Trafalgar Square. She meets a guy called Stanley Smith. They get married in June, January 1915, and they have two children. And they move to Croydon in London, and she dies in 1967. So a nice life afterwards, not being involved in any other scandal. No. She lives a very quiet life afterwards. But I do think the name choice is interesting. When the assumed name she comes back under. Very interesting. Um, Um, There are various motives people think of, aside from the obvious one. There is the idea that people were thinking that Crippen accidentally killed her by giving her an accidental overdose of the hyacinth, which apparently could be used as a depressant or an anaphrodisiac, which basically is a substance that blunts or, like, quells your sex drive. Which is still... This is still both horrendous, that he's possibly drugging her without her consent, because I think that's what's being implied. If he gives her these, then maybe she won't have as many affairs. I don't know. But in 1981... There was a guy that claimed to have met Ethel in Australia in 1930, although we have no, I don't know how much evidence we have that she's in Australia. And apparently she says that Crippen murdered his wife because she had syphilis. So it's very much he said, she said, and there was a syphilis crisis at the time. But yeah, so that is that case, and that's where the phrase guilty as Crippen comes from. However, people uh, still don't care if he did it. Um, yeah, the updates to the case, have we gone to those yet, or are yeah. you about to? We are about to get to the updates of this case. Okay. First of all, like Raymond Chandler, like the crime novelist, always said that it seemed really weird that Crippen would successfully manage to get rid of the limbs and head, which are actually really difficult to get rid of, and then bury yeah. so under the cellar floor of his own home. And then another guy called Thornford Yates, he was actually a junior barrister at the trial, and he records that he believed the remains were placed in lime, so they would be destroyed. But apparently Crippen might have failed to realise that while dry quicklime destroys, if water added is added, it becomes slate lime, and that preserves things. Oh, okay. And Yeats actually became a novelist late and actually used that in a plot of one of his novels. So he's pretty yeah. cool. He also states that the judge at the request of the prosecution refused to give the defence a copy of the sworn information that had been used to issue the warrant for the prisoner's arrest, which is weird. Okay. He meant to give you yeah. that. And the judge accepted the prosecution's claim that the withholding would not prejudice the case of the defence, and the judge didn't ask why. I feel like that's something you should ask about. Yeah. No, and then it gets, it gets weirder, because apparently Yates states that he knows why, but even though time had passed, he thought it was better not to say. See, this is the thing I'm like, maybe you're just stirring the pot here. Because the idea that you're like, it's better not to say... That that's very suspicious mm-hmm. and weird, and I feel like it would bring up a lot more questions than anything else. But yeah, now we have 2007 October, Michigan State University. Obviously, like there's a lot of this that ties into Michigan because that's where yeah. he's from. Yeah. There's a forensic scientist called David Fran, and he's going to claim that the remains he's managed to prove that remains found beneath the cellar floor are not Cora Crippen. And he's done it by tra- tracking down her relatives, and I think they're great nieces, and they are going to compare the DNA with the slide taken from the torso, and it yeah. just completely opened the case again, and people are very confused because apparently the remains were also ta- tested for sex, and the researchers believe the body parts were that of a man. Oh! So I don't know. I don't understand. I know there are people who are far more like technically qualified to suggest that that's still... Because sex is a spectrum... Yeah. I don't know. So we have 
one theory, which is that he could have been carrying out abortions that were illegal at the time, and that one of his patients died during one of mm-hmm. them, and that he hid the body. But I feel like a torso, I'm going to sound, I apologize, it's quite graphic, but if somebody is pregnant at some point and you try and terminate it and they die in the attempt, I would assume that if you hide, bury the torso, there would be some evidence of that. Yeah, absolutely. I would agree. The hair follicles thing came back up. Everyone was like, well, there's hair follicles on it. Scar tissue doesn't have hair follicles. And New Scotland Yard apparently have been asked to provide samples of the blonde hair that were found in curlers. And they're now yeah. preserved. Because it's now preserved in a in New Scotland Yard's museum. They want yeah. to have... Someone's asked for those for DNA testing to see if it's Cora's. New Scotland Yard will not give it. Oh. They won't give them the hair. Repeatedly, they've been asked and they won't give them. They have said that they will test a hair, but you have to pay for it, which has then been rejected as over the top. This is like a back and forth between America and the UK at this point. And the guy called Trestle, who has apparently kept asking about the hair, has hypothesised that he thinks maybe the police planted the body parts and the pyjama top to incriminate Crippen because of the amount huh. of that was on them to find this guy. Yeah. Um, but an independent observer has pointed out that the case did not become public until after the remains were found. Yeah. And I don't know what that suggests at this point. This is just information out there. And the last part, last update was in 2009. The Criminal Cases Review Commission have reviewed the case and they've decided the Court of Appeal is not going to hear the case to pardon him because there was a, an appeal launch to pardon him and they're saying well, they're not going to look at it. So Yeah, I, I can understand that. I would. I feel like unless there's solid proof that he did not do it, you wouldn't uh, pardon him. But yeah, and that is the case of Dr. Hawley Harvey Crepin. Guys. That was quite a ride. <laughs> there, was, <laughs> there was a boat. There was the fastest <laughs> inspector in the world. Um, There was mustache shaving and a disguise as a boy. Yeah, there was a pajama top that we had to figure out when it was when it was released for sale. Uh, Quite a lot of details going into this. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. See, I'm sorry that one was a little bit of a longer one than I expected, but they're like the surprisingly for a case that is very famous as being very cut and dry. Yeah, moving parts to it than I thought. And yeah, it makes me now think about like the phrase guilty as crepping because now I'm like, oh, I don't know. I, don't know. <laughs> I mean, the whole DNA thing kind of throws it into question. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there was something he was involved with because mm-hmm. he ran. Yes. And also, like, there's been a lot of debate about the DNA and the way it was tested, apparently. The research oh, yeah. was published and you can go find it. Um, it's in like January 2011 issue of the Journal of Forensic Sciences for okay. read those for fun. Um, <laughs> but there has apparently been a lot of controversy about this this test. Okay. Well, we may never actually know the actual answer to that, but it does raise some questions. Like, I don't sure. know what do you think. If you had to say like definitively yes or no, has definitively, I'm leaning more towards yes. Same. Or at least, if it's not Cora, it was someone else that he ended up killing. Yeah, there has to be, I think, for me, it's the pajama top. Yeah. Like, for me, if I had to pick one piece of evidence, because it's not fleeing, because I could understand why you'd do it, why you'd flee, but it's the pajama top. 
and I just, yeah, I know it could have been planted. I know that, but, but at the same time, there's like it's very hard to get that in there with a mm-hmm. brick floor. Yeah, and I feel like we said like the amount of commitment you really wanted that to stay hidden. Yeah, definitely. And then and... I also feel like with the abortions thing, I'm like, I I could be wrong, but I would assume there would be some evidence of if it was a torso presumably containing the womb, I believe there should be some evidence of that. I guess it would depend on how much of the torso is there and, like, how how well-preserved it was. Because they did only bring a piece of skin into mm-hmm. evidence. So, yeah, I, I think that would depend. But I, I'm leaning more towards it being Cora. Uh, that's, what I, that's, that's what my gut wants to say. But yeah, so that's that's my case. I feel like the one thing I want to end on as like final thoughts is yeah. good morning, Dr. Crippen. Do you know me? Like, turn down for what? <laughs> so <laughs> sassy. So epic. The hero of this story, truly. I can't decide who I think is more the hero, Chief Inspector Jew or the Captain. Or Kendall. <laughs> I think... All together, they create a great superhero team. Yeah, teamwork makes the dream work, guys. Absolutely. Dead Cat on the Line is written and produced by Ali Drain and Sarah Caulfield. Sound editing is done by Ruth Brown. For more information, you can find us at Dead Cat Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. No cats were harmed in the making of this podcast. We even have a real live one. You can see him on our social media pages. Thanks for listening.